Hey everyone, welcome to Tales of Recovery. This is Gris Alves, and my guest today is my dear friend, Sarah Knapp, who's a death doula, a grief guide, and mushroom practitioner. We're dedicating today's podcast to my mom and Sarah's dad, who are both now ancestors, Mm -hmm. and they continue to train us through... I don't even know how, but it's just that's what we're going to talk about here because they've been training us since we grew, we chose it. But um, I'm really excited that Sarah's here to tell us all about this intense, beautiful love story, this journey that you had by, you know, really re- literally rescuing your dad from patriarchal man-made governmental structures that think they know what they're doing, but really they just... They don't fucking know. They just, it's a business. Mm-hmm. And so Sarah's dad had, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's since, when was he diagnosed? When I was 21. Okay. Ish. Mm-hmm. And then when did it get to the point? Why don't you you tell us? Because I know okay. you sort of took over his care around 25. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the last time I was on the podcast, I feel like I explained a little bit of his care and his story but I'll do a little brief one and then I'll go into the the rescue story right okay <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so I'm like oh yeah we already <laughs> talked about this listen to our last listen episode. to the last one <laughs> um get caught up but yeah so I'm 27 and I think it was I always get the number messed up but when I was around 21 or 22 is when the official diagnosis came through that he was showing signs of Alzheimer's in high school and substance abuse and pharmaceutical abuse and stress and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so from when I was, I finished, well, I didn't finish college, but I left college in Ohio to come home and take care of him. And that was something that a lot of people gave me shit for because of course in this culture your career and accomplishments are the most important thing but my dad was starting to decline and so I said I'm gonna stop school I think I'd finished two two and a half years and I came back to San Diego and then from that point until he died and my dad died on March 1st 2021 so this year I was taking him in and out of these facilities because I was not his medical power of attorney. Facilities, you mean um, the like homes for assisted living Mm -hmm. for people with Alzheimer's? Mm -hmm. Okay. So he started out in an apartment in the back of the house that he owns and him and I lived in this little apartment together. But I was, you know, 21, 22 when he had, he had these conversations with his lawyer and he made his advance directive and he chose his medical and financial power of attorney. And he didn't choose me because I was a child. And so he chose his friends. And his friends, I have to be careful saying all this because it is public, but have very different views about death and dying and pharmaceuticals and family and home-centered dying and care that I do. And so over the, you know, what, seven years from when, his, from when he was diagnosed until he died this past March, 
if I had it my way and I was his power of attorney, I would have taken him out of the facilities. He would have never been in system involved medical care. He would have been at home with caregivers. He would have been given the best organic soup on mm. all the lion's mane with all the body work. And yeah. Um, but that I wasn't able to do that because of his documents. So when I started understanding through these, you know, all these years of I don't have any say in my dad's dying process, even though I'm the only one that's showing up every day to his dying process. Then I started getting really interested in, well, what is a death doula and how do these documents work and why aren't families talking about this? Right. And why aren't there people, and with all due respect to lawyers, but why aren't there people on the sidelines who are spiritual counselors, death doulas, grief guides, witches, whoever that are sitting down and explaining what these documents mean? Because the lawyer just shoots it across the table and says, sign here. And you're signing away your entire dying experience to someone that may not actually understand you and what you need. So that's a little intro to Mm -hmm. get us rolling Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important to know, which is the great work that you're doing, is become aware Mm -hmm. of your rights and that you're giving them away. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when you buy your first house, I don't know, you just fucking sign. You don't give a shit. Mm. And then next thing you know, you're like, oh, there's a prepayment penalty. Mm. Oh, there's this. The interest mm. could have been lower. I mean, mm-hmm. you just, um, you have to read mm-hmm. between the lines. You have mm-hmm. to read everything. And um, by the way, everyone, Sarah was a huge participant in my mom's care when my mom was in her last year, year and a half mm-hmm. of dying as well. We were lucky enough to have her in her own home. Um, because she didn't sign any paperwork over to any lawyers. Mm-hmm. I was, thank goddess, yeah. in control. <laughs> my, you know, my dad, my brother, my sister, we all agreed this mm-hmm. is how it was going to be. And she agreed, too. She didn't want to go to hospitals. And um, there were so many things that we don't, we're not aware of. Like, I could have called in hospice care six months prior to her mm-hmm. dying instead of six weeks but the doctors don't want to talk about it because then that means they're going to die. Well, we're all going to die. And all hospice is, is like you said, good soup, body work, mm-hmm. massages, Reiki, the therapy dog, beautiful music. Are you cold? Are you hot? They make you warm. They make, you know, it just it's really offering love and sweetness mm-hmm. and comfort, mm-hmm. even if it's two years before you die. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to wait till the last week? So anybody listening to this, if you're in this dilemma, um, palliative care, hospice, well, first of all, you've got to call Sarah because she'll come help you. But also if you're already in the system or you have insurance, hospice is free once you call them in. Mm-hmm. Everything is paid for. And they're not all like super woke, but for the most part, they're very loving and mm-hmm. caring and they're into helping mm-hmm. because it's really taxing. Mm-hmm on the body the grief the oh my god the sorrow the like anxiety of it so we go into this lockdown and then you can't even see your dad Mm -hmm. so he yeah he started out in a retirement community and then we transferred him to more of a memory care and then we transferred him to 
a stronger lock-in memory care, and then his final memory care was in North County, San Diego, and I was contracted, sort of, paid by my dad to go in every day to these memory cares. I would go, you know, five, six days a week, sometimes every day, depending on how he was doing, and for years you did that yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and um in in the power of attorney's eyes i was supplementing the care and they were saying you know okay well we'll pay you because you want to be with him right this is the last five years of his life we want you two to be together we don't want you to have to work another job we want you to be with him every day but then when i would go into these facilities and I've shared this experience with so many other caregivers that work in these facilities. I was shocked beyond, I didn't understand how much abuse and horror there are on an hourly basis. There is happening on an hourly basis in these facilities. And especially, and th- that's not to say anything about the people that work in them. Right. Because they are angels. And they are doing everything they can. It's really about the system. Where there, it's very similar. I've never been a teacher, but teachers—they're—they're they're heroes. They're giving everything they can, but because of the system, they can't quite possibly take care of every individual child. And that's what a lot of these facilities are like. And they have these sexy brochures, and you call their line, and they say providing the best care and. Blah, blah, blah. And it's it's advertisement. It's a business. And when you see up close, and I can't obviously say all of them, but I saw four of them very close, and I would go volunteer with hospice and other facilities. And it's just, it's a really dark scene in there. And so I think that's something I'd like to um, make sure that people are aware of as well, is it's not normal to sign a check and lock grandma away. Yeah. It's not done in a lot of other countries where family is at the center of human life and our elders are at the center of human life. It is woven into the culture and the fabric of what it means to be a human, to learn how to grieve by caring for your grandma and what an honor it is to care for your grandma and wipe her butt because she wiped yours. And so this is the circle of life that we're missing out on as a culture, largely in the United States, you know, just the overculture. But these facilities prevent families from learning how to grieve because when you take care of grandma and you wipe her butt and you're showing up there every day or it's your mom or whoever, your aunt, someone that's old and dying in your family, you cry you long for them you miss them already you start to understand they're leaving Mm. and i'm gonna leave too and like whoa you know and it's not some expensive retreat it's not a book it's just by god thank you to the gods and the ancestors and whoever invented this whole circle of life thing it's given to us as a way to grow our capacities and our hearts to care for our elders. So if we take that away from young people and all people, what? how can they be real humans if they don't understand that you have a debt to pay to grandma, actually, every day, where you go rub her feet, wipe her ass, and feed her soup? 
maybe grandma was really shitty to you and it's a toxic relationship. And of course there's nuance in everything, but in general, what happens? And I wonder about this a lot when we don't, when we're not taking care of our own family and someone else is doing it. So I was my whole, because I was not medical power of attorney and I want to Um, reinforce that as many times as I can in this episode that it's one document and it controls everything and that is nuts you should not have one signature control what your very faithful daughter is allowed to do showing up for your your end of life um but I wanted to bring him home the whole time I never wanted him to stay in these facilities but so what I did to manage that was I got paid to go into the facilities and take care of him in the facilities and then make his life magical however I could taking him out of them when right. he was still able to do you want me to tell the the lockdown story now yes but <laughs> before we do the lockdown story I want to just throw in here that I mean I've worked you know the federal government for years in criminal defense and the justice system so um I understand some of you might be listening going, I can't afford to have grandma at home. I can't afford to keep my mom. Let me tell you this. Those places over there where you're going to put them in and medical or quote unquote, whoever's going to pay can pay you just like they paid Sarah mm-hmm. to keep your mom, your grandma, your loved one mm-hmm. at home and have someone come and help. And this is where we need to grow as a community and as a family and expand your relationships to ask for help and people to come around. Because I think it is one of the only ways that we're going to, like you just said, expand your love, the capacity to change humanity. Mm-hmm. We can't keep going down this road of robotic, you don't need, I don't need this old person anymore. It's mm-hmm. too inconvenient. Of course, it's going to be inconvenient. I wanted to kill my mom every day for a year. Mm-hmm. And I also wept with her and like, I can't believe she's leaving. Mm-hmm. We would weep, like you said. Mm-hmm. And she would call me later and say, are you going to come by tomorrow so we can weep again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Mom. I'm going to come over so we can weep because we knew it was ending. Mm-hmm. So you do get in touch with the fragility of life. Mm-hmm. And even if your grandma was shitty to you or your dad signed the wrong document, mm-hmm. this is the opportunity for you to work that shit out. Mm-hmm. And so it's, this is really important work. The more you avoid it, guess what? The sicker we get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so good for you that you got him out of there, that you fought. Tell us the story. Okay. The lockdown. (laughs) First, I just want to say that my, I don't know how it's going to look over the rest of my life if I'm granted the rest of my life, but my mission is I believe that if you have a family and the family and structure is more or less intact, there are enough hands there to help grandma. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the government will pay you to do it. But what is missing from our families when it comes to grief that not all of the children, all everyone in the family goes, well, we'll take care of her altogether. And of course, hire a caregiver here and there and supplement. And it's very hard taking care. It can be very hard taking care of dying people. But what's missing from our cultural codes 
that not the entire family is rushing to care for grandma, you know, and that doesn't mean that everyone has to wipe her butt and feed her soup and this and that, but to sit with her for two hours, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the part that, you know, there's this, as you said, mainstream narrative that it's so expensive and it's so, oh my gosh, it's just so, you couldn't possibly have them at home and that's why they're in the facility. Well, are they in the facility because of that or is it because all of you are afraid to cry? Mm Mm-hmm. And you don't want to feel your heart like that every day when you are with wrinkled skin and old, frail bones and you're looking at yourself and you're looking at love, you know. So what I think that's bullshit, basically. I think that it's really it's not. Deeper. Yeah, I think it's deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I don't have any solutions about that, but that's what I've been wondering about is what's really going on here on a deeper psycho-spiritual level People that we avoiding. have bigger priorities than our grandparents or are dying, you know, and how many of them are alone in apartments or rooms right now, Yeah, you know, and I, I feel that every day on my heart. So, yeah. So long story short from the moment they they closed down the facility to mid-February I was fighting his power of attorneys he had three power of attorneys and I was meeting with them and they closed it down because of the cold virus right yeah yeah so they closed on the facility and I said wait this is my livelihood and this is my life this is my dad is going to die within a year or two. I didn't know when. And this is the time that I have with him. But I lost everything when they closed the facility. That was my whole that's been my day for seven years. It's, so I started fighting them. Well, let's this let's bring him home. It's time to bring him home. We got to get him out of there. I mean, yeah, they, you can go into different ideas about what's happening in the world, but it it was not in alignment for me to have him be in that facility when I wasn't able to see him. So it was a year of battling them in meetings and I would win and I, a small win and I'd lose and a small win and I'd lose. And I don't want to go into the details of that too much, but through what I learned from it, which if there's like a wisdom part of it, is that when you're speaking to other people that don't have the same orientation or language as you, they're never going to hear you until you find someone that speaks their language. Right. So they, in my understanding, they thought that I was crazy or a witch or too earthy or a hippie or irresponsible and all these things. We don't see each other or understand each other. We're on very opposite sides of human life right. <laughs> understanding the spectrum. and the spectrum <laughs> and they're beautiful people they're uh, wonderful people but we don't they don't understand me or see me and so what I learned I eventually what caused the breakthrough in order to get my dad out of that facility was contracting with a doctor and a social worker to explain to them the same thing that I had been saying to them and presenting to them for a year so basically I got a call from the power of attorney and I wasn't able to see my dad. I was only able to see him at these, I'll just shake and scream if I talk about it, but outdoor, sterile, 10 feet, 
you know, and I was pulling up his pants every day and I wasn't able to touch. I mean, it was just a very strange psychological uh, experience. But I got a call from his power of attorney mid-February of this year that said, hello, Sarah, I I think he's dying. Like, we got a call from the facility. Like, I don't know. There's something going on. And as a death doula, I'm like, is he eating? Is he, you know, what are the the questions to ask? Like, what are his symptoms? She's like, I don't know. I'm not sure. So then I call the facility. I get through the head nurse. One thing leads to another. You okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and I was able to find out that he was bedridden and that he was um, breathing with his mouth open and that he was way farther into the dying process than I knew because I wasn't able to see him. So my dad was already past the point where he could speak. He could barely open his eyes. He was a day or two away from the active dying phase. And that information came to me through a call from a power of attorney who was abroad saying, hey, I think he's dying. I think your dad's dying or we're not quite sure what's going on. So then I called the this independent hospice um, group. They are sure they're not hospice. They do concierge death and dying. And I'll, I'll make sure they're linked in this. They're okay. amazing. It's an amazing doctor and a social worker. And they were able to call the power of attorney and say, um, we're going to go visit him in the memory care and I will send you a private assessment of we think if he's dying or not. And so I got to go into the memory care that day with the doctor mm-hmm. and I found my dad lying in a bed, bedridden, trembling, mouth open, hadn't eaten for, they don't even know, the facility didn't even know the last time he ate. He was already almost oh, in God. active dying so from that point the the doctor that we that i hired pulled me into the bathroom and he said he could die tomorrow if you want him to be with you you got to get we got to get him out of here tonight wow. so then i had the doctor call the power of attorney and the power of attorney and it was just all these calls all these calls and all these hoops you have to jump through and paperwork and blah 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 as I'm wondering, is he going to make it to be with me? And I wanted him to be with me the whole time. Right. I never wanted to be apart from him. I never wanted him to be in these places. In the All first alone. Place, all along. So then I went back to my best friend's house and I said, we have to find a place for my dad to die. Where are we going to bring? Who's going to be like, oh, well, let's bring your dying dad to the house and have everyone come in for the vigil and the wake and bring flowers and candles. And we didn't know exactly how long it was going to take him to die because you never do. Mm-hmm. So then I'm sitting, you know, making lists with my best friends and we're, you know, going, well, what are we going to do? And then I called my partner and I said, you know, we're just trying to figure out a place to bring him. She's like, well, let me ask my parents and see what, what ideas they have. So she asked her parents, and they said, well, bring him here. Bring him to our house. This is my partner's parents. Mm. Just bring him here. And so then the next morning, I met with her mom, my partner's mom, and she said, look, this is a really important thing, and no one should die alone in a fucking um, fluorescent light room in a prison, basically. That's everyone should die a beautiful held 
death at home with everyone around them, loving them, singing to them, caring for them, singing them home. Mm-hmm. And so through one series of miracles to the other, I rolled him in a gurney out of the facility at 1 p.m. on a Thursday and he died on Monday. So from mm. Thursday to Monday, me and all my witches, all my friends, one of my dad's friends flew from Illinois to come say goodbye. And every day we just created this beautiful environment in this back room at my partner's parents' house for him where he was experiencing, you know, the typical gnarly symptoms active dying (laughs) symptoms that we get to look closely and care for and learn from and so every day more people came more food came more flowers and candles and hospice came but and hospice is amazing and there was no medical care needed at that point Mm. i know how to roll him I know how to check his pulse. I know how to wipe his butt. Mm -hmm. I know how to clean his mouth. I know how to, you know, spray some water in his mouth so it doesn't get too dry. At at the point where they are dying and we just, everyone says, okay, they're dying. You know, we're not trying to save their life anymore, which for my dad had been the past seven years or, I mean, you know, we're dying from the moment we're born or we're dying from when we get a terminal diagnosis. You know, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But, um, yeah, and then do you want do you want to say anything before I keep telling the story? I just I mean, your partner's mom that place mm-hmm. was full of windows Grace came to, to I came. bless my dad, yeah, <laughs> and it was so beautiful. I was like, you did it, <laughs> you did it, you got him out of that place because it's you don't realize how important it is to die with someone right there. Um, and the windows, and they have this beautiful garden, mm-hmm. so there was so much light, flowers everywhere, mm-hmm. um, all these significant objects and beautiful energy, your friends, I mean, the book of people coming and saying, mm-hmm. I was here, you know, loving blessings, mm-hmm. taking pictures, things that we really do take for granted because we've run so far away from death because... They scare you if you know, nobody wants to touch that grief. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to realize that this is going to end. And you get to miss out on something so powerful mm-hmm. and profound like this. It's life transforming to be in a room with someone that you know is leaving. And to watch the birth of leaving, mm-hmm. the birth of dying is like, okay, I'm next. How are we going to live? How are we going to live? It's so intense. And I learned, I mean, I've taken trainings and I listen to elders and I read, but I learned so much about the vigil from being with your mom Mm -hmm. under your guidance. You know, and when you think about what a dying person really needs, flowers, love, candles, music, music. Water, food around, dancing, and then you think, well, what does a living person need? Water, music, (laughs) flowers, friends, love, right? So these objects that we bring to the vigil, it's just like the most simple 
ancient parts of human life where we're everyone and it's the same around the birth portal I so I've heard but everyone's bringing their love and their stories and their tears and food and they're all just hanging out together at the home vigil mm-hmm. and so we got to do that for five days yeah. before he died on Monday and people would come back every day so my friends came and they're like this is the best party in town how's dad doing how's he doing okay let's sing to him again you know okay who's someone get the catering okay let's get some more burritos like it was just was people were doing their homework you know and there's a dying man in the other room who is actively struggling to breathe and we just kept bringing song and love and stories and tears and Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just Jillian, my partner, she sometimes she'll say, man, I really miss that. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just like the best five, six days of my life. Like just hanging out and remembering we're all going to die and loving each other and doing whatever we need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's no big deal. So so then he on Monday morning, I think around. 10:45. Jillian would go get him a cup of coffee every morning because he loved black coffee and we'd take a little swab because he couldn't drink he couldn't you know he was very far gone but take a little swab of the coffee and just kind of put it on his lips mm. you know kind of like a coffee essence for yeah. it, right <laughs> helping him go home and so she went out to go get coffee and I crawled in bed with him and I put my hand on his chest and then there was a big picture of his grandmother, who was his ancestor, in front of him that I put at the base of his twin-sized hospital bed. And this big rainbow shot in from one of the crystals in the room onto her chest, onto her heart. And the other rainbow from the other side of the crystal came in and shot onto his chest. Mm. And I was holding his chest. And then it got kind of quiet, and then I looked at him and I said, "Wow, Dad? dad and he was gone and then Jillian two seconds later Jillian walks up to the door with the coffee and I just looked and I said he did it he did it you know and I feel that he left in those rainbows that the rainbow came to his grandmother's heart and she was helping him yeah this ancestor was helping him and the other rainbow came to his heart, and they both went whoop in those rainbows together. She's like, come with me. You're going to love it here. You know. And then we kept his body at home for 24 hours. And that's, it's very easy to do, but the hardest part of doing that is fighting off the hospice, the mortuary, the <laughs> family, the... Why would you keep there? There's no problem with a dead body being in the house. Yeah. How else are you going to say... How else are you going to understand? And we'll never understand. But how do we, as humans who haven't died yet, even though maybe we've died a million times too, but okay, dad was here and breathing and then he was gone. That's when you spend time with the dead body Mm -hmm. and you lay over him and you cry and you tell more stories and you begin to come online with he's not in that body. But if the crematorium comes or the morgue comes and they take it away in an hour you don't get that time that we've always had ancestrally Mm -hmm. with the body yeah and dead body all my friends were like 
It looks beautiful. No problem. Yeah, there was no, not a single person felt weird about it. We were, I mean, he was covered in flowers and wearing a Beatles t-shirt. So (laughs) it was pretty cute, you know, and the room was gorgeous, but there was nothing medical. There's nothing gross, you know, it's just, and my friends and I cleaned his body after he died. We blessed Mm. his body. We oiled his body with flowers. Mm. We sang him songs, you know, it just was beautiful and we all remembered they took some guidance from me okay be careful with that knee watch that elbow but they all remembered they knew how to do it they weren't afraid they remembered the ways of their ancestors Mm -hmm. who took care of our own you know and then the crematorium i mean sorry the morgue came at 11 and they took him to the morgue because that's what he had chosen and they prepared him Whatever that means, behind closed doors, we don't know. Yeah. And then they brought him to the grave for the burial at 1. So he he left at 11, and he came back at 1 in the casket. And then we put him in the ground. And another cute part of this story was, and the, the message of this story is know your rights, yeah. learn about your rights, and also test the boundaries. If there's something mainstream in funeral practices that you're like, this doesn't really feel right to me. Then just ask, can I do this? I would like to do this. Mm -hmm. So the whole (laughs) burial ended and everybody left besides besides me and my friends. And then the funeral, um, not the funeral, the cemetery director came with the grave, two grave diggers who were going to come take a huge tractor and fill the tractor, fill the dirt in to the grave with the tractor mm. and i just no, was no, like no. no i don't like that i'll shovel That's it not so i said you know hey sir i'm wondering if my friends and i could shovel the dirt in to the grave until it's full and he said oh you know i gotta check with my boss and no one's ever asked me that before give me one second and he came back with three shovels <laughs> And then one of my friends, two of my, I mean, a lot of my friends there were farmers, but I think two people, I think Jillian had a shovel in her car and, you know, so we'd all just come out and we're in, you know, I wasn't in heels, but some of us were in heels in these funeral attire, shoveling the dirt back into his grave. All me and my friends, they were all singing, Mm. you know, we got to do it. So it's like, pay attention to your body and what you want to do. No one, they make you feel like you don't have the right to do what you've always done as a human being Mm -hmm. and you do you have that right it's given to you by the The gods by the universe by heaven by the ancestors Mm -hmm. and all this stuff around funeral care is very new past 100 years past 150 years max and it's all wrapped up in money it's big business making a bunch of money and you can do it you know with Mm -hmm. the love in your bones for free and your family, but you have to allow grief. Allow grief, know your rights, educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Call Sarah. <laughs> call me and we'll chat. Yeah, you can call me too. <laughs> call Grace. The thing is, you know, um, Eric, you know, Eric mm-hmm. from Thresholds, mm-hmm. the, the home funeral guy that I met maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. when my friend Luisi died. Um, it's all about your very simple. These are your rights. 
No, you don't need to take the body mm-hmm. away. You can have the body up to seven days, and I don't know how many days, mm-hmm. probably longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me when my mom was going to die, remember, they're going to tell you, call me right away. Yeah. You don't need to call them right away. Yeah. You mind the time you write it mm-hmm. down. Because if you call them right away, freaking mm-hmm. out, then they're going to come right away, and they're going to be bullying the business. Mm-hmm. Because to them, it's not their mom. They're just like rolling out the pancakes, you know, and, and billing for it. So... It's like, don't, you can just sit there with your person who, I guess it just depends on your beliefs. They're not in the body anymore, but something very magical happens when they leave. I mean, even before then, it's just like, even when you were saying that Jillian loved that time when you guys were out there picnicking and Mm -hmm. just visiting and singing because you are in these two separate realms or I don't know if they're separate or just like, you know, I don't know. You're going in and out. I don't even know the terms. like, But it's but you can touch that mm-hmm. and you can sense it. Mm-hmm. And it really does hold you. Mm-hmm. And all the grief and all the, I mean, all the love and all the people and all the singing. But you're in this like supernatural state of awareness. And then, you know, like, you know, like my mom, like her body stopped breathing. Mm-hmm. But it was all so peaceful, and it was such a trip. Like, you, you know, you bathe there, you put them, you dress them, you're waiting, people are coming and going. And at night, like, Julio sends these portals and energy. I mean, it was just a trip. Mm-hmm. And for about the next two, three weeks, maybe even a month, I was still kind of walking in this cloud of awe. Yeah. Like, we did this. Mm-hmm. I remember we went to the <laughs> yoga. <laughs> She wasn't dying and she was almost dying. It was so intense. And I was like, kissed her, said, I love you, mom. I mean, we knew it was coming, but like you said, you just never know. We went to the yoga class. I'm like, okay, because it's going to be another big day. Came back. Turned, as soon as we got out of yoga, I turned on the phone. My sister's like, where are you? She's dying. Or she died. And I remember just getting to the place, running in, bawling like, we did it. You did it, Mom. Oh, my God, you guys, it's so hard to die. It's like giving birth. Well, I'm going to go back to two little things, and then I'm going to go back to what you just said. Okay. Okay, so there's this movement. I'm not sure if that's the right word for it, but we're reclaiming the ways of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. We're remembering the ways of our ancestors. And where are we doing that? In our kitchens, in our relationships, on the dance floor, we're singing, we're drumming, we're, you know, we are birthing at home. We are saying, fuck the system. We don't need you. You're too expensive. I don't want to pay you to do something that I can learn how to do by remembering the ways of my ancestors. Mm -hmm. And so death care and elder care is just this huge opportunity for reclaiming the ways of your ancestors on in those places but it's foreign like you're saying okay educate yourself you know but it's so foreign and so taboo and legitimately confusing because you have to do you do have to figure out this form that form you know and they make it that way but it's worth it 
<laughs> and you can spend a form. lot of time on Google. You can call me. I'm like going to work a lot through the fall to put this stuff into little downloadable things where that you can read. But we do need to talk about it because yeah. uh, my dad never had the opportunity to sit down with the death doula and for someone to say, love bug, you're dying. And Alzheimer's takes a long time. Most wow. of the time. And we don't know what's going to happen between here and there for you. So who is the person that knows you the best right. and is going to honor you in every challenge and every twist and turn and make yeah. sure that there's the Beatles playing all the time and that you have hot coffee no matter what and is going to represent your spirit? You know, who's the keeper of that? Because that's what the advanced directive is. Mm-hmm. It's not this pharmaceutical, that pharmaceutical, blah, blah, blah. It is, unfortunately. It involves those things. Yeah. But if you're putting your dying time, which is a mystery for all of us, into someone's hand through this document, mm-hmm. you have to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> because there's so many nuances. Yeah. And also, you need, as an adult, don't think you're protecting your child but by not giving them that right. Mm-hmm. If they get sick of you, they can, on their own, put you in a home. For sure. <laughs> but allow them that privilege. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, I don't want to bother. No, it's mm-hmm. not a bother. Mm-hmm. It's a birthright. It's where we, we have to reclaim it. Mm-hmm. It's why this whole culture is upside down, because we've left that birthright. Mm-hmm. Not everyone. There's a lot of people still doing it, but in general. Mm-hmm. And it's turned into this business that they rape you. I mean, with I mean... Here's a casket, $20,000. What the? Sign fuck? here after they're yeah, dead. No. I mean, you don't get, they don't tell you, but I was just looking yesterday through <laughs> someone's fees, their um, cemetery yeah. fees. We couldn't even understand. What does that mean? What? $4,000? 265 for, oh, that's the setting fee. That's $265 to set the stone on top of the grave. What the hell? Yeah. Did you do that? What the <laughs> Put grandma in the backyard, you know, I mean, yeah, she's yeah, yeah. insane. But another thing I want to say is that, you know, you were speaking about the spiritual potency and ripeness of life that's in that portal. That yeah. we, why are we missing out on that? Right. Whether it's just taking care of grandma or when they're actually dying and everyone was drawn to it like bees to a hive. I mean, it was a, it was the biggest party in town when my mm-hmm. dad was dying and when your mom was dying too. We were yeah. all there listening to music and eating beans and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. But also, they need us. Yeah. And we can't forget that too, that they need us to be there because we don't know how hard it is to die mm-hmm. so i when i am dying i will need you to be there mm-hmm. to help me because i will be probably a little bit scared yeah. of what the heck yeah, happens yeah. next and the pain and everything the nervous system is going through as the body is shutting down which it doesn't ever want to do we're coded by Life. you know our design to survive so they need you there and if and they can hear you. Yeah. Your grandma, wherever she is, you. she needs you. Maybe she can't tell you that. Maybe your parents aren't telling you that. But they need you there. Mm-hmm. Your grandma, your sisters, your brothers. There's yeah. a lot of younger people yeah. that are terminally ill or sick. And I'm like, I don't know if I should call. I don't know if I should go. Yes. Mm-hmm. You need to go and rub their feet. And you need to go and call. And you don't need to say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know what to say. Please don't say Bring anything. Soup. Mm-hmm. 
Bring us humble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the last part that would, you know, towards the end you were saying, you know, we, we did it, right? And when when your mom died, I was like, we did. I mean, I was joyous for yeah. days. I was like, we did it and it was beautiful and it worked. And, yeah. you know, we supported her and everyone was there and nothing, quote unquote, went wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I had the same feeling with my dad. I mean, I was on cloud 1000 because I got him out of there and he died in all of our arms and it was beautiful and it was a miracle. It was a dream come true. When I was at the facility with him that day, the first day I went in, I said, I was sobbing, sobbing, holding him. And I said, I will never ask for anything again, but please let me get him out of here. Hmm. I promise I will never pray for anything. I'll never ask of anything of you, but please, please, please let him make it through the night to be with me. I'll I'll never ask for something for (laughs) my birthday, anything. Please, this is my one wish. You know, and they did, right? And I was so happy. And then I remember, because you're ahead of me in the grief journey. I said, well, how are you doing now? You know, six months later, we said, man, depressed. I'm so sad. You know, and I was, I remember thinking, what, you know, and now I'm six months later. It is so rough. It is so heavy. Mm. You know, I don't, I thought I knew. And that's why I said the last death cafe. I told him, I said, I've been studying grief for 10 years. I've been reading all the books. I went to Stephen Jenkinson's farm. I'm like, <laughs> I'm there every day with my Alzheimer's dad thinking it would prepare me for what it feels like somatically. To have my dad be dead. Didn't do shit. I mean, I don't. It's really hard. And it's not an energy that I understand. And when I work with my grief clients, I hear the same thing where they're like, they'll say, you know, it feels like gravity doesn't work. Or it feels like the whole world's upside down. Or it feels like I'm on a foreign planet. But I can't quite explain it. I just feel weird. Mm -hmm. I don't feel Right, you know, I, and that's how I feel. I'm just really recalibrating and adjusting to wait. My dad isn't on the planet anymore, and what does that really feel like in my body every day? It's you know. So I, I know this is your podcast, but I would love for you to share with me (laughs) how you know because I don't believe in stages of grief. I don't believe in like step one, step two, whatever. But it's forever. How did you? Yeah, it's forever. It's forever. And yeah. it's, um, you know, I mean, there's, I think there's times where I pray, like, please just let it be over. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, mm-hmm. let's just go travel. Let's just do things. And then there's moments of joy, of course, here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's like this new knowledge mm-hmm. that your body has now. Um. And so that knowledge at first is like, oh, my God, this is so heavy. I want to weep and cry. and But, you know, I'm the matriarch now. I'm holding all the family. I got to make money. I got to do feed the dishes. The kids. I got to feed the kids. I got to clean the floors. And so it's like really taking the time out to go grieve, to go to the sweat lodge and cry for mm-hmm. hours to go sit with the mushroom allies and cry for hours, to go on by myself on a road trip and 
kick all the rocks because I'm really fucking pissed off. Because grief is weird. It's like I feel guilty. I feel angry. I feel like I'm going to go crazy. I feel just nothing. Numbness. You know, the, the space that you hold, like the death cafe that you, you know, we used to have death cafes here before my mom got super sick and that we're hosting now. Well, you're hosting. I'm just going to come and help you. We're hosting together, together August 14th at Reunify Yoga in Ocean Beach. We'll have the link here for you to come. Those are the places where you can talk about these things and feel like you're not alone and that you're not losing your mind. I mean, we are losing our minds, but together, mm-hmm. you know, and I just had this friend message me on Instagram saying, Grace, my friend's mom just passed away a month ago and she's devastated. She saw that you're hosting that cafe. She really wants to come. She wants to travel down there. They're coming from LA or Long Beach or somewhere up north. Do you think that this will help her or will it make her be more devastated? I was like, oh, dear. That's the whole problem. I mean, the devastation is not going to change. You're fucking devastated because that's your mama. Mm -hmm. But of course, I said, this is going to help. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, avoiding Mm -hmm. and you protecting people from pain never, Mm -hmm. ever helps. Mm -hmm. When you avoid pain, then the horrible comes up. Mm -hmm. Or you get suppressed, you get sick. So, Mm -hmm. yes, bring your friend Mm -hmm. and and you know the i love what you said like grief is weird yeah because that's what everything i learned all these practices all these books these amazing elders and teachers i thought it would all work i i thought that after my dad died i would wake up every morning and i'd go to the garden i'd put my hands in the sun i'd say good morning dad it's me you know, and I thought I'd feel them all around me. And I know and I I pray that eventually, you know, it's going to change a lot over my whole life. Yeah. But it's not. I thought I imagined this super sacred daily experience. And I believe that's possible and, and it's coming. But grief is weird. It's not. I feel weirder than I thought I was yeah. going to feel. I feel everything's upside down. Everything's, you know, not in its place. And I'm just kind of, every morning, I feel most in the morning when I wake up. Because I'm like, I'm in dream world. Right. Very connected to him. Very connected to everything. And I wake up and I'm like, oh shit, he died. And he's not here. Okay, alright. Gotta go make some coffee. You know, like, yeah. gotta do the digital, you know, but... At first, like, wait, oh, it happened. Yeah, it happened, you know. Yeah. But um, the thing about Death Cafe is that, you know, when we were doing it in your backyard and we're doing it at Reunify, wherever we're doing it, we make an altar. We put the ancestors on the altar. We put all of the beautiful things from this earth and sea on the altar and sky. And we put photos and the for all of us to sit around the altar and to cry and to talk about our dead and to praise our dead and to grieve our dead is the most normal human thing yeah. there ever was, especially for someone who's devastated because we all are devastated. We're all devastated. 
yeah. every single person say, well, what are you, what are you devastated about? And they'd have some long, beautiful story. I'm devastated about this. I'm devastated about that. But we're not supposed to be devastated alone. We're yeah. not supposed to be devastated in isolation. And that's where, in my understanding, grief turns into depression. Mm. You know, as long as we're grieving together, you know, as long as I can say my dad once a day, right. oh, my dad died, mm-hmm. you know, bring it out my mouth and mm-hmm. talk about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. but the more I hide or I isolate or I, you know, get small in my corner. But if we're all around the altar crying and weeping, you feel great. I mean, it's hard. And you feel that we are all we all have gone through this or we are all to go through this. It's good medicine. Mm-hmm. It's heart medicine. Because the culture is also like, well, get over it. I mean, it's been a year, right? Because I would tell the grief counselor um, a couple months after, like, all of, plus a lot of other issues start coming up when oh, someone yeah. dies, right? It's like, where was that? What is going on? Like, I want to kill everyone. You know, you're like, wait a minute. He's like, well, mm-hmm. you were on survival mode. Mm-hmm. You were taking care of people. So now you have time to feel other things. Mm-hmm. So to have a lot of compassion self-compassion for that and then also to know that a lot of the culture is okay get over it okay it's been a year now get over it and honestly i fell in the biggest depression after a year one year went by and i was like well i might as well just die now mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. because what's the fucking point mm-hmm. anyway Seriously. i mean i'm like wait a minute Seriously. let's call for help <laughs> where's the dad cafe and then you know, everyone's not going out and all this ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's um, being devastated together definitely mm-hmm. is. It's the medicine because, and I understand now why people avoid death mm-hmm. and why people don't want to talk about it and why, okay, let's just give it over to the funeral mm-hmm. business because here's the other thing you know when someone dies. Guess what? You're going to die too. <laughs> and this is going to end. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it, that creates a lot of anxiety. That's why religions are so famous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's why people go pay the big bucks to the church because pff, you think they're taking care of it. No, no, no. That's all bullshit. Nobody knows. You remember, mm-hmm. like you said. That's my favorite part about Death Cafe. And then you can call it whatever you want, but humans talking about or acknowledging death is that it's inherently all of us bowing before the mystery no (laughs) one knows yes we've probably reincarnated yes we've probably died blah 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 but we don't know scientists near-death experiences shamans priests everybody no one and that's what makes us all the fucking same is that no one actually knows i have no idea what my dad went through even though I watched him for 10 years and my whole life, you know, but also especially in those last six, five, six, five, six Mm -hmm. days, Mm -hmm. I had no, I mean, I've sat in medicines before and I imagine it's something like that, but I have no idea what he was experiencing, seeing, traversing, you know. Some scary shit, man. It really is. It's, I think that's the whole challenge of even being born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, is, can I? Are we good on time? Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. we're good. I mean, how long is it? 
<laughs> I don't know, but we can keep going. Let's see. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Not okay. Bad. No, okay, not cool. bad. Not bad. Well, there were two things. One, I thought, is when he said, you know, and then after they die, all this shit comes up, and it's, yeah, the survival <laughs> mode for sure, and the cultural insensitivity to grief. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like I could scream at my partner or my best friend every single day. I'm sorry. Are you not aware that my dad died five months ago? I don't want to do that. Or can mm-hmm. you be nicer to me? Or can you, you know, and it's not like, oh, I want a, a free pass card. Right. But my internal world, what I'm experiencing, I have no idea how to translate that yeah. to I just need you to be nice to me mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And be amazing because my dad died and it's just and neither of their parents have died my partner yeah. the best friend you know i'm like and so it's like all this stuff comes up but also my expectations for all my relationships i'm like don't you understand everything has changed yeah for me everything i don't think you do understand until it happens to you yeah yeah and then this other funny story I wanted to tell is that I was uh, on Instagram. So I've been cleaning this damn storage unit of my dad's for <laughs> 10 years. I mean, he was a hoarder. I've been going through his stuff my whole life. But I've been going through this specific storage unit, cleaning it out for since he died really most intensively the past few months. Rat poop, cockroach poop, <laughs> files, dental floss. Post-it notes. I mean, there are, of course, some amazing treasures in there, but a lot of it is crap and garbage and things that aren't even good for me to breathe. Right. And so I put on Instagram, have kids, you're going to need them, with a video of the storage unit. And Grace responded, don't have kids for that. Your parents should get their fucking shit together. (laughs) And it's true, and it's part of, and it's funny, too, because my mom will come and sit outside and go through some of the boxes and she's I'm like who's that like whose Christmas card is that and who's that picture and she'll help and then she'll end up taking <laughs> some of this stuff for her house and I'm going oh my god I know where this ends I know where this ends I'm gonna be wait I'm sorry am I just transferring uh, all this garbage from my dad's storage unit to my mom's house so that in 20 years I have to go through this post over again. again for you because you're all hoarders and it's nuts like so I just yeah. wanted to bring that forth too. It's like, try to be a minimalist. Try to have your shit tight. Mm-hmm. Do your end of life documents. And yes, if you feel best with a lawyer, do with a lawyer. And also work with a death doula mm-hmm. and have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last thing you want is to die in a tragic accident. Have your child have to. And my dad, it wasn't, you know, instant. It was He was terminal for a long time. But I, your child... Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to scrape cockroach scuzz yeah. off the floor. Like, I want to get massages and yeah. cry, you know? So how much of the way that we live can we think of what will my child, my friends, my partner have to clean, go through, you know, fight for? If I yeah. am not, you know, if, if I don't bring myself forth to these documents and these conversations and becoming a minimalist. Yeah. Becoming a minimalist is a I'm, deep, I'm joking, but, but it's <laughs> kind of, it's like a deep spiritual energetic cleanse. And I think um, a lot of people and 
that don't necessarily do the work or do the healing or try to own the responsibility of their own bullshit, mm-hmm. we end up hoarding and hoarding mm-hmm. because you just want to cling to things and buy more mm-hmm. things and sell more things and buy more things. And it's fine to buy and sell things, mm-hmm. but recycle, reuse, like minimalize. Don't, mm-hmm. because it, it, I think honestly it's a reflection of how you are feeling inside. Mm-hmm. When my mom died, her closet was insane. I mean, we had some outfits there from like the 1910. Mm-hmm. And she was born in 45. <laughs> yeah. It was like, what in the world? And my sister and I would go yeah. down there and try to clean it and yeah. she would not have it. Yeah. We would have to sneak stuff yeah, out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah no, yeah. no, no. I'm going to wear this. I'm going to wear that. Yeah, you don't yeah. need 17 down jackets for yeah, the yeah, for yeah. skiing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need one. Okay, two if you want. That's it. And so that it's just a reflection of something that we don't want to look at. I think, you know, like, why do we have to have all these things? Like, what's going on? So, yeah, I mean, the human, that's like a whole other podcast, man. It is something that I I had a trick in my head as some, you know, I'm aware of death because of my dad and I helped my grandma die. And I think I've always kind of like had a, an awareness about it or something, but the, it's been, it's in my karma or so I don't know. It's in my the forefront of my heart a lot of the time in my mind but the if what what I use if I don't want this to go to someone that I love I'm more or less not going to keep it right that's a so good way if this bowl is a beautiful ceramic bowl oh my god Lily would love that in her house when I'm gone you know all my crazy baskets my witch baskets mm-hmm. everyone's gonna fight for those yeah you know all my wooden spoons Mm-hmm. You know, and then if it's not something that someone would be like, put that shit in the will for me, then bye, bye, because <laughs> it's not beautiful. It doesn't have a sacred in it, you know. So how can all my belongings be sacred so that and and be clean and tidied and tended, right. so that you know, if I were all willing, this doesn't happen because I'd like to stick around, but to vanish tomorrow by something that you just go to my house and everyone fights for the baskets and. You all know how much I love you because I didn't right. put cockroach shit all over the floor. And I know my dad loved me, but you know, don't be a hoarder. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not what your kids are for. That's not what your kids are for. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we're going to have on here Sarah's information, the link for you to sign up to Death Cafe. Um, and again, like Sarah said, we circle up. There's a little bit of a ritual meditation talk about death. It's a beautiful space to come in and explore. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not like... There's no crazy yeah. exercise that, you oh. know, we're just hanging out around the mm-hmm. altar and wondering together. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's sweet. It's sweet every yeah. time. Yeah. A space to grieve because we have to practice grief. Mm-hmm. It's okay to grieve. And boy, do we need to grieve. Mm-hmm. Even if someone isn't dead, yeah. There's a lot of things that we're sad about Mm -hmm. that we don't process. So thank you for coming by. Thank you. Yes, I love you. And if I said anything that didn't bless you, just let it go. If I said anything that you didn't like or didn't feed your soul, just let it go. Let it go. Be like Elsa and let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I love you. Thank you, everyone, for listening Mm -hmm. to Tales of Recovery. And... Hopefully we'll see you on the 14th and 
Yeah. Take care. And grieve. Mm-hmm. <laughs>